All right. So I, I, I originally had this as I put it in the text, some ridiculous title about ultimate whatever. It was dorky. I've worked it through several times, but I'm okay with this one. It's every believer's foundation and it's love and identity. And it's, it's the, the last one I'm planning on doing on healing for a little while. But it was, uh, it's been so good. You know, Jen started by teaching and then, uh, Jeremy, you followed up at your study. We followed up here a couple of times. There's some really, really good questions that have come up. I know maybe you guys still have a few. That's totally okay. Uh, because we're not, this isn't just a topic we're trying to check off the calendar and then move on to something else. This is something we want to have sown in our lives to be able to speak. And so, uh, the last couple of weeks, and especially at the study, I've been sitting there being impacted by people's questions. Jeremy had, uh, Jeremy's grandma is part of a study, Patsy, and she asked a really very wonderful and relevant question. She said, if this is uh, so what uh, possible, normal, then why doesn't somebody that, that knows it and believes it just go to Walter Reed, for instance, and heal all those men and women that are hurt and all this kind of stuff? And so I, I, I think about questions like that, and I'm not afraid of them. Uh, they don't undermine what we've been talking about, about healing being in the atonement, the nature of God being manifest uh, as a, the one that heals our diseases. And uh, and so I wasn't too worried about it. But as I was praying about it, I felt like I was being driven behind healing to something that was a little bit more foundational. And then last week I said something that I, I really hadn't planned on saying. It felt important and true when I said it, but I also realized that it had the possibility of causing trouble. And it was that I don't necessarily think that our problem is not believing in healing as much as it is not believing in who Jesus is in us. And so I spent the week praying about that and pondering about that. And and as I, as I felt like I got some ideas from the Lord and some stuff in Scripture, uh, this is what came from it. So here are the two foundations. I'm giving you a new commandment. This is out of John 13, toward the end of the chapter. I'm giving you a new commandment, and this is it. Love one another. Now, the implications of this are enormous. And I remember uh, a few years ago when I was teaching about love, and I was using uh, the Matthew passage where Jesus was talking about, you know, um, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. Uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And I was laying that as a foundation. And then the Lord kind of broke in while I was thinking about it and studying and I, and said, well, that's not, that's not the, this command. That's the summation of all of those commands. And all that confusion about a different God in the Old Testament is wrapped up in what Jesus said there, that all of the law and all of the prophets, yes, even Jeremiah, <laughs> and some of his anxiety-ridden prophecies. Those are all summed up in these two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor and yourself. But he said, the command that you should be concerned about, Larry, is the new command that Jesus gave. And I found that in John 13, and I found it reinforced a little bit. And that command seems simple at first sight, like everything seems simple when it's actually being manifest, but it's extremely challenging. Jesus said, this is it, and this is out of N.T. Wright's New Testament, and this is it, love one another. And then he goes on to add, just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
And while I think loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength might still be impossible because it's a reflection of the law, I think this is doable, but takes everything we've got in grace. Does that make sense? The second one is this. This is from John chapter 20. Jesus, uh, I think, comes through the wall, if I remember correctly, because the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. And he says to the disciples on him, and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. All right? So this is a relatively short teaching tonight because I want us to have time for food and I want us to have time for uh, praying for one another, especially regarding the healing stuff. And I need time for my Christmas message. <laughs> but love corresponds, obviously, with that new commandment, right? And identity corresponds with this, as the Father has sent me. And so I would say, if you will muster up the the humility and the courage to say something like this, Father, I don't always think about myself and my role in this world as a believer and as a person. I don't always think of myself as being sent just like you sent Jesus. And so I'm willing to repent over that. And I'm willing to be the kind of vessel to the world around me that Jesus is here in Scripture. Okay? So the new commandment, John 13, 34, and 35. I'm giving you a new commandment, and it's this. Love one another just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is how everybody will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Now, this is a universal truth. It's a complete application that is without exception. Jesus didn't qualify it. He said, a new command I give you. And then he gave it. And I'm going to show you some stuff in a minute when we get through it, because he reinforced it as he was continuing to talk in that episode with his disciples prior to his crucifixion in John 14, 15, 16. This is the command. And John reinforced it well after Jesus was ascended in 1 John. We'll get to it. A new command, love one another. And then, like I say, that's enough, but that surely is a lot open interpretation. What does that love look like? How does it look? Whatever. But then he goes on and he says, this is what it looks like. Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, what is the point of this being uh, in a closing message on a series to try to sow healing into our lives? I remember watching Dan Muller not too long ago, and he was preaching a rare message. And you know Dan's coming, right? He's coming later in the summer. He was preaching a rare message. He doesn't preach about healing too much anymore. But he said, if you don't love someone, you really don't have the right to touch them. And then I remembered Sean Boltz teaching about prophecy, saying exactly the same thing. I don't care how precise a prophetic details you get about somebody, if you don't love them, You don't really have the right to touch them because you won't touch them in the right way because love sets the constraints for the power of God to be given to people through you and through me. And so uh, love answers a ton of questions about praying for people, about giving to people, about ministering to people, about preaching to people. If I don't love you, I should shut up. 
but I do. I really do. Now, why do I? We'll see in a minute. Not that you're not worth it, but I mean, there's a biblical reason I love you too, that I can. Jesus makes clear what uh, exactly are his commandments or commandment. And it's under the new covenant, it's for us to love one another. Now, that's really, really important because I'll tell you what, as soon as you go out and you try to interact with, uh, with people and other, you know, the expectations, the church expectations, the religious expectations, people take enormous liberty interpreting what the command of Jesus is. They'll go back and pull it from the Ten Commandments. Some will go back and uh, pull it from uh, Old Testament Torah law. And, and, and the most dangerous of all are the ones that just pick and choose which phrases Jesus say, says and turn them into a commandment. When he defined it, just like he defined what conviction is by the Holy Spirit. Remember that in John chapter 15? Uh, I think it's 15, maybe 16. He says when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then immediately, because he knew that we could concoct a list faster than, and I can't think of a rabbi joke, so we could concoct, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. We could put a list together about what sin is. Thank you. We could, I probably need to adjust that setting, huh? We could put a list together as soon as he said the Spirit's going to come convict the world of sin of what we expect the Spirit to do and convict and how we want to be on the side. But immediately Jesus defined that specifically by saying, of sin because they don't believe in me. That's the issue. So Jesus is a big one for reducing down a whole bunch of stuff which was true and served a purpose into how it relates to himself and the revelation of his Father and the operation of his Spirit. And that's what this love does. It's not a matter of all the many things that you could do to love God and all the many things you can do to love your neighbor. He gave us a divine example, a concrete example, a real personal example, and he's still alive to reinforce and give that example today if we'll look at him. He's still living in the presentation and the fullness and the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to be confused with what love looks like. It looks like what Jesus did. To love one another just as I have loved you. Here's the other part. This is the identity part. Sent as Jesus sent. This is from John 20, 21 through 23. Jesus uh, comes in. I said, all right, peace be with you. Uh, Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Now, I, I just want you to think about that for a second, and, and I'm going to give you a couple of possibilities to dismiss it if you choose to believe this. If you think it only applied to the disciples and it doesn't apply to us, I'm not going to argue with you about that. You can go ahead and do that if you wish. I don't think that's true. Because the disciples kept passing that on to other people and commending them when they lived under the same anointing that they did. Okay? Philip, others just went on. The other thing is, uh, well, that's the only real excuse I could think of now that I'm looking at it. Oh, you can choose if you want to focus on the finiteness of your life, or you can say, yeah, but I've got a sin nature, or yeah, but uh, I remember doing something ugly last week. That must mean that's part of me. And you can then, you can take and make a meme of your unbelief 
and stack it up against what Jesus said and say, ah, no, you didn't send me this way. (laughs) And if you want to do that, I wish you wouldn't, but go ahead. But don't ask me to join you with it. Because what's the point of being a believer and having revelation, especially revelation that comes directly from the mouth of Jesus, if we don't at least try to believe it? If we don't trust the believer status, the believer energy that God has put in us, and begin to believe that the best definition of why we're on the earth is because we're sent like the Father sent his Son. He said that. You know, other things, uh, do you want to just kind of grouse around and say, I'm just a slave of Jesus, I'm just a slave of God? Well, no, don't do that either. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And he gave a reason why. Because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but uh, to a friend, everything is revealed. And that's what this is about, this idea of being sent by Jesus. Because Jesus said, and we're going to see it in just a bit, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. There is this this, uh, torrent of revelation and information about the heart of the Father that Jesus was, was able to receive. If you remember uh, at the beginning in the ministry, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and remained. And uh, Jesus immediately goes into the wilderness and it comes back out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So his first words of declaration of the kingdom, which is deeply associated with healing, heal the sick, declare the kingdom of God has come. His first words about healing were rooted deeply in being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is who we are. That is the operation. That's what he means in part, and I don't pretend to know everything, but that's what he means in part when he, he, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so, back to healing. This is a foundation that we have to settle. And I know, uh, Jen, you did a great job talking about authority, talking about not uh, doubting that not all of that authority stuff this is what was kind of ringing in my head all of that authority comes here this is this is it the work of jesus is the mechanical part that made it possible but the actual application of that so that you and i can walk in it is because we're sent the way jesus is and i'm, I'm not taking anything away from the, being a part of the atonement or any of that stuff i'm just saying this is what i was going on so uh, also, the way Jesus sent gives us examples of how to apply this thing without going crazy. So, for instance, Jeremy, if I were to try to answer uh, Patsy's question about why, if this is true, why don't we go and empty out Walter Reed or whatever the closest hospital is? Well, it's because that isn't how Jesus was sent. Jesus went where the Father said go, and he was an active, obedient doer of what God was doing at the moment. Now, if you are led to go to Walter Reed, go. Go with full faith. Expect it to happen. I have heard of testimonies where whole floors of the hospital were cleared out when somebody was conscious of who they were, what they were, but they were responding to that word from the Lord, that leading. Jesus walked into the... um, uh, what's it called? Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. And he and he was and, and for whatever reason, f- 
from the Father, he was aimed at that one guy. Now, that didn't mean that none of those other people ever didn't get healed. But it meant right then he was aimed at that one guy, and that worked. Just like there were people that came to him, whole groups of them, and all of them that came outside Matthew's house in Capernaum were all healed. So it's not up to us. I mean, I'm not trying to make an excuse. What I'm saying is that walk like Jesus. And you're probably at some course in your life going to find yourself where a whole bunch of people are around you and you are the agent to heal and you will manifest what Jesus says in John 14 about anyone who believes even greater works than I will do. And you will probably also find yourself at some point in your life being strategically used to touch one person who's going to change their whole world. And and we don't have to debate about it. It's not like he's an example to create a doctrine from. Neither the Pool of Siloam nor Capernaum outside Peter's house. Our authority comes from being sent like him, and his authority came from being filled with the Spirit and listening to the Father and doing what he said. And if we will do that, we don't need to argue about doctrine because doctrine's not an issue. Provision's not an issue. The fact that we have the authority is not an issue. I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm, I'm slightly modifying my, what I said last week about our issue not being belie- uh, believing in Jesus and us. I think that's a possibility. But I just don't think we take full advantage and give full credit to the fact that one of the things that has happened to me because of the, the uh, being born again, because of the uh, being filled with the Spirit and, and the dynamic relationship that exists with God, is that my eyes and my ear and my heart are open to hear the Lord because I'm His friend. And if I'll listen... Now, if you want to make an argument, well, he just doesn't want to do that much through me. Well, that's like the other argument. (laughs) Don't do that. He wants to do what he wants to do that you'll let him, that you'll believe him for. Not necessarily just having to sit there and try to concoct the most outrageous healing scenario or the most outrageous evangelistic scenario, the most outrageous miraculous. Just, Lord, here I am. I'm going to be cruising around doing my thing. You have access to me. I can hear your voice. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. And I think that's kind of what that, that talked about. Now, the scope of the thing is important to me. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And so I, I was thinking, and this is something we came up with on Monday, Jeremy, and we talked about it a little bit. We have a lot of examples in the Scripture that are pretty easy to relate to healing. And so I do definitely think that uh, we, we have ample reason to believe that God wants people well, that his nature is to heal, that we should approach every healing situation with the optimism, even including praying for Olive, worshiping around her. Every healing situation with the optimism that they're going to uh, be healed or raised or made whole, whatever the situation is. So I'm not backing away from that at all. What I'm saying is that that is a subset of the sozo concept of healed, delivered, set free, and all this kind of stuff, where Jesus said to the disciples, whosoever sins you forgive are forgiven. The base problem, healing is a byproduct of the fall. Healing is a byproduct of the work of the devil. Healing is a byproduct of what the doors that, that, that open, that sin opened to darkness. It's not the source. Sin is the source. And sin needs to be forgiven. 
And so sin is a monstrously big deal, of which another big deal, sickness, injury, and disease, is a subset. And so I don't want us to stop our belief and stop our fight to believe at just healing. I want it to wholly include healing. But how many churches have you been in? How many sermons have you heard? How many pastors have you had teach you or somebody on YouTube or whatever? How many people have said, you know, you have the right to go out and forgive sins? (laughs) Not very many. Again, because we take the liberty of creating diminishing roles in our life because whatever. So some people absolutely say, like like those guys I talked to at the radio station, we're not going to touch healing with a 10-foot pole. Well, that's an unfortunate choice. They have a right to make it, but it's an unfortunate choice. But if we'll be humble about it, there's a very good chance that some of us in this room that have laid hands on dead people, that have prayed for the sick, that have seen things done, that have been bold in a lot of ways or are being bold on a daily basis like you are at the call center and other things, and plus just in your own life, a bunch of us that would robust there would have all kinds of confusing doctrinal issues to think about saying to somebody and letting the words come out of our mouth, your sins are forgiven. But that's what it says. That's what it says. And our hesitation to see ourselves in that sin-forgiving role, being sent into the world just like Jesus is, our hesitation is not a matter of belief or faith. It's a matter of confusion and uh, self-diminishing, maybe, I would say pride, but I can't really take the time to defend why that is. Well, that's what Jesus does. Yeah, that is what Jesus does. Now, I'm not saying, and don't get me wrong, this is why it's hard to talk about this. I'm not saying that the role that Jesus played uh, as the cruciform manifestation of God, that the role he played on the cross is something that we duplicate. I'm not saying that. It doesn't need to be duplicated. Hebrews says plainly, once for all. Once for all. But the benefit of that role is the announcement of forgiveness, healing, deliverance, wholeness, and belonging. And we... We suck at a lot of those. We don't speak them because we don't believe them. And we keep expecting Jesus to speak out of heaven somehow. And in a sense, it makes us no different than a cessationist who thinks that God's only going to speak out of the word. We're called to make these announcements. And that was the thing that, that kind of got me excited about, uh, excited about the speaking aspect of healing as opposed to the begging aspect or the, the, the prayer aspect. And, uh, and I, I, I think that our relationship absolutely does need to include asking. It says that a lot of places in the Scripture, Jesus talks about it. But the asking is going to be revolving around us knowing our identity. Lord, open my heart to who I am. Open my heart to what you've done. Do that kind of thing. But when it comes to applying, I think... What it, how would it feel to you if somebody came and said whatever they said that revealed to you that they were repenting, they wanted God, and, and then you or your buddy that was with you said, God, I just pray that you will forgive them. That is a redundant prayer. In, a, in much the same way, yeah, go ahead, Ronnie. In much the same way as it's a redundant prayer 
to say, God, I just really wish you would heal him. That's right. He would, he would say. And, and, and in one case, we have to go to, what is it, First Peter? By his stripes you have been healed. In another place, we would go to Hebrews. Once for all, a sacrifice. And where there is the sacrifice for the, where there is the forgiveness of sin, there no longer needs to be a sacrifice. We're not asking for this to be redone. We're the, we're the ones that have been sent like Jesus to proclaim the truth of it. Ronnie? This on? Yeah, pull it up a little bit to your mouth. So I think one of the things I'm seeing just from you saying this right now is if we focus a lot on the idea of being born again, mm-hmm. the formula, the form, formulaic aspect of do this, repent, and Jesus will heal you uh-huh. or save you, that makes it harder for us to say you're forgiven. You mean if we're if if we feel like we're just a byproduct we're just of a to formula? lead them to a place where they yes. say this prayer. Well, where... even no, no, but let me stay with you on this. Okay, if we let the thought come in our mind that who am I? I'm just the person that's a byproduct of this mechanical process as well. Right. We're going to lose, I think, touch with what you're saying. We're not going to realize. We are the product of the finished work of Christ that has been declared over us. And what does it say about what, how we believe? Uh, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. And it's the rhema Word of God. It's that spoken, freshly spoken Word of God. And if we think that we're just a byproduct of a written-down formula someplace or a, a church doctrinal formula, we're probably not going to be thinking at front of mind, I need to make a declaration of healing over this person or a declaration of forgiveness. So just as much as healing is Jesus in me, through me is healing a person. Yeah. It's Jesus in me, through me, is forgiven someone of their sins. Could be that, or could be delivering them from demonic oppression. Could be any of the things that Jesus died and rose again. But that makes it, in my mind, a lot easier to just think that's actually okay to do. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Whereas, and I, I, I want to be sure everybody understands. I, I'm not like setting myself up like, oh, yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I have no anxiety going out and telling somebody their sins are forgiven. I do have anxiety about it. But what I'm saying is it's the same exact anxiety that would keep me from declaring healing or keep me from speaking. You know, start me begging somebody to get delivered if some demon is manifesting in their life. And I, I, I personally, in my own life, can't just do it on the basis of a doctrine of the authority of a believer, but I can do it on the basis of this. I can feel in my spirit a witness coming into agreement with the fact that, Lord, I'm not of a mood to argue with who you say I am and why you say I'm on this earth. I don't want to base this on a doctrine. I want to base it on a relationship that I trust, and I trust him. Richard? Uh, yeah, this verse, uh, if you forgive anyone's sin and so forth, has always been puzzling to me, and I still don't understand it. I mean, he's already forgiven sin, so what are we What are we forgiving? Yeah. Um, and to retain sin, I, I don't even understand the whole verse. I know. It doesn't even make sense to me. I know. Well, you're the one that's supposed to tell me. Okay. <laughs> well... I would say we are on a Holy Spirit-led, humble heart, uh, surrendered journey. And healing brought this journey to focus for me. Uh, We're not arguing over doctrine. 
The truth is super plain if you back away from doctrine. Jesus died and overcame the work of the devil. Now, there's confusion about how you apply that because it doesn't always look the same every time. So some of that is that we're being led and we have to learn to listen to the Father. Some of that is that we don't understand. Like, this makes you nervous. What do you think you are, a priest or something, you know? Uh, well, you, and the answer, of course, is yes. The answer, of course, is yes. And once you can get to that answer, you see what I'm saying? Once you can get to that answer, once it doesn't have to be wrapped up religiously in a way that, that, uh, guarantees that your friends won't think you got too big a head. And I'm not promoting us walking around with some kind of religious fluff. Oh, this is... Poor guy. This is your buddy. This is what's happened to us for the last several days. His musician is... Um, he and I need to talk tonight before we get done. Um, anyway... It, no, I don't know anything about it. I can tell you something about it. You need the mic. You got to use the mic. No, no, we got the camera. Back. I actually wanted to. I actually wanted to share. All right, go ahead and share. Are you done? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, when we when we retain someone's sin, and especially if that is a sin that has been committed against us. Uh-huh. Uh, we actually bind ourselves together with them with something called a soul tie. Oh, sure. So therefore, uh, if we retain that sin, we're holding them in bondage and ourselves at the same time, which is the importance of the forgiveness issue. But I wanted to just share a real brief testimony. Wait, hang on a second. So you're, you're saying then that Jesus may very well have been warning them, or may very well have been announcing to them, the the authority in like kind, but also this could have been something they had to learn how to manage, how not to do that. Well, and each person has to lay hold of those gifts and promises for themselves. So yes, but I want to go to the just retaining someone's sins because it doesn't make any difference if the sin was against us or not. When we call somebody an evil, vile, wicked outcast, we are actually constructing over them the bondage that they will stay in, okay? Because our our words create. Therefore, when we speak those things over a person, it actually becomes their reality. So, but I wanted to just share... um, Even if they receive I mean, if they don't receive it, how can why... That doesn't make sense to me. It, it is because we're called to be co-creators together with God for the establishment. Well, of I, I, I think somebody the Son of Christ. Yeah, no, receive that. Well, no, no, I, I don't think somebody can put you under that bondage <laughs> if I'm you not, have I'm the authority. About unbelievers. Okay? If you have the authority so, to reject that curse. But I want to just no, share. No, I just want to share one. Hang on, hang on, Nancy. Testimony. We got to get this point out. Okay. So. Uh, I can't put a curse on you. If you have the knowledge that Christ has taken away those curses, you reject it. It means nothing. My words fall to the ground. But if you're an unbeliever (laughs) or somebody that's full of fear or something like that, the words we say, this goes back to saying, oh, I got a diagnosis of XYZ from the doctor. Oh, that's terrible. My mother-in-law died from that just two weeks ago. You know, that kind of thing. So that's, I think, what we're, we're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, the authority still is in the relationship with Jesus. And if you have it, great. If you don't, where you're not conscious of it, then you can come under a lot of bondage, like uh, probably a lot of politicians are nowadays. <laughs> because people true. are saying well, bad things about them. Well, and go, that's true. Yeah. That, go ahead, there's Nancy. truth to that. Uh, when it says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. And I just want to share, because I have thousands of testimonies regarding that scripture. Uh-huh. That one time I was in New Orleans, and we were doing street ministry during Mardi Gras. And I ran into a man who had been 25 years a mainline heroin addict and a total alcoholic, and he was living in a homeless estate. And when I walked up to touch him, I said, look at me. And he goes, I can't look at you. I can't look at you. And his, uh, he's like, like this because he's afraid to look at me. And I said, the Lord sent me to tell you your sins are forgiven. And he knows they've been many, but he wants you to know that you're forgiven. And the man fell over on the ground, started weeping and crying, and without any word from me, went through a full-blown deliverance right on the spot and gave his life to the Lord because the sin aspect is something that when we realize that we have power to forgive someone's sins, it's the power to release them from their bondage and from yeah, their darkness. Absolutely. So anyway, when I, I want to clarify, I want to clarify one thing for I, when I'm saying, if you call somebody a diabolically evil, wicked person, and you should know this, Um, actually create that reality. So we are holding them in a, in a position of bondage by our own spoken words, which is why the power of life and death is in our mouth and in our tongue. And it, can, it doesn't even have to be that, that diabolical. It can just simply be yeah, as we, you're growing up, you are stupid, son. Exactly. We issue and all kinds is, of judgments to create that boxes. That's the same, same thing. thing. Right. Yeah. yeah, very much so. But I had another question on that other thing that you were talking about, and I, now I've now you've messed me up. <laughs> all right, so hold on, because I want to make a point. So I want to make a point. Here's what we're trying to get away from. We're not just trying to get away from a certain sort of behavior. If we have a, if we, if we have a theology that says that what Christ accomplished was to create a token that if we will cash it in, we'll be okay, we'll be forgiven, we'll be delivered, we'll be whatever the case is, then we are going to be very, very easily sucked in to judging the people around us, judging the circumstances around us, not envisioning ourselves in any way being useful in that situation. But if we will give up that theology, and, and to give up that theology, you have to give up the thought that everybody's out, except a few people. And, and and our job is to go to those poor, ignorant people <laughs> and bring them in. It, and and, and it's, it's, wrong. it's wrong, and it's arrogant, and it's egotistical, and it's a bunch of bad things. But if we will let our minds open up and fix our eyes on the foundation of these two things. Our job is to love somebody. Period. Period. God doesn't need us to judge them. He doesn't need us to categorize them. He doesn't need us to paint them green uh, until they change. He needs us to do what he did, to love them. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you just stand there mealy-mouthed if they're Phariseeistic. It doesn't mean that you endorse their behavior if they're demonic. It means you love them. And sometimes you wrap your arms around them while they're clawing on you. Sometimes you get in their face about the hypocrisy that is blinding them. Jesus did all that. That's what I'm saying. Just as the Father sent me, so send I you. Does that mean someday I might have to go turn over a few tables and whip? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I'm not going to decide that on my own because I have access to his voice. Because the other way Jesus was sent is I only do what the Father's doing. I only say what he's saying. I listen to him and I do what he says. And sometimes it's a super positive thing. You get up in the middle of the night, try glucose. Might change the world. So you do it. And, and it goes on. And the next time might be... I need you to go over to your, your cousin's house and confront him on his drug use. Okay. That's like Jesus did. He did stuff like that. And that's who we are. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this whole forgiveness of sin thing, I, I just wanted to prove to you it's about Jesus. Um, you remember back in, in Matthew 9, he said, which is easier to say? Uh, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk. And he didn't distinguish between those two things. And and the reason he didn't is because he was here to deal with all of it. This is just a huge reinforcement of the fact that this is a work of the cross and the resurrection. Okay, And we need to start thinking about it. Now, does that present problems? Yeah, sure does, because it's way easier to say, Ronnie, that thing you did the other day is forgiven. Thanks. I mean, in my heart, it's easier. Because I don't, I'm not accountable for what that feels like or looks like. But if you had a, you know, compound fracture of your arm there, I'm going to have a chance to get more nervous about that. But before I face the compound fracture or the forgiveness, I need to look at Jesus and go, they're one and the same to you. Because they come one and the same victory, one and the same force. They're proven by the same resurrection. You are the king over them, seated at the right hand of the Father right now, right now. And if I'll work on my stuff in my own closet, then when I do run into somebody and I, I, I have the need, and I can't even imagine, honestly, I cannot imagine what evangelism would be like if we had the confidence to tell people their sins were forgiven. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, uh, I think I am one of the least qualified to even make a statement in this <laughs> gathering. But this is what I understand. You know, trying to put a face on what exactly you, you're teaching, uh, us being able to forgive other people's sins and retaining them and healing. Um, if we look at this scripture, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, it's, it's the authority. It's, it's the scripture that gives us the authority. And it's the, the same authority that Jesus walked in yeah. and did all these things so he gave us the same authority now we have that same authority to forgive just like jesus forgive the the only dif difficult thing that has happened to us is our failure to receive that authority and transform it the way jesus did yeah and that has been that has been because of the different constructs we've put in our mind and the limitations that we have set up for us mm -hmm. but i think it's the question of receiving the authority from Jesus and actually passing, because he, he says in John 20, the same chapter, 14, 20, that 
And that day ye shall know that I'm in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That's you know, the part we're, we're having a hard time believing. Thank you so much. It is. You're absolutely right, Joel. That's where our belief needs to be directed. It doesn't need to be directed in some doctrinal stance on healing, forgiveness, deliverance, or whatever the case is. We need those, and we need to have it right, and it helps when it's right. It helps when it's not stupid, when it's not you know some false version of the sovereignty of God, or it's not, oh, maybe it's God's will, maybe it's not. Those are bad doctrines. So I'm not advocating bad doctrine. I'm saying the job's not done once you get good doctrine. <coughs> then is when you fix your eyes on Jesus to run the race, knowing that he's the author and finisher of your faith. Then it's when you let the word speak and say what it says, even if it seems awkward or weird to you, and then you change the way you believe. This is what faith is for. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. That is a brief little snapshot of what our faith is for. Dave. They're getting trained. They're getting trained. Yeah. So one other perspective that I think is important to pay attention to, Jesus said this after he had died and was resurrected. Correct. And so sin, all sin, capital S, had already been forgiven. That's right. So Jesus isn't talking about you can go and grant salvation. That's absolutely correct. Because he's already, he did that when he died and was resurrected. You're announcing it. capital sin... The big sin was all taken care of. Yeah. But he also gave us a priestly role. And so to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, and they're forgiven, or they're retained, and you say they're retained, and then they're retained, is functioning as a priest that he gave believers the authority to function as. It is. Small s sins, I think. Yeah. And then the other part of it is, to bring it back around to your point about love, if we love somebody... Love is going to forgive those sins. When they have sinned against us, when we've seen them sin against somebody else, like in your example, Nancy, you can say, I forgive you for what you've done. And so why would we, why would we, we retain their sin when we're trying to love them? The, the only reason, here's why I think, the only reason we're tempted to do that is we, is because we feel like there's some kind of judicial system hovering over the whole place that we have to be more true to than to that person. And that's a misunderstanding, I think, of what Hebrews says about the new covenant. Yeah, absolutely. There is no more judicial no, problem. Not, it was solved. No, the system, the governmental system that we're wrapped up in now is, is the one that's talked about in Hebrews chapter right. 8. There's no yeah. question about it. What's going on? The Skinner's no, I just Oh, <laughs> yeah, they're sleeping there. Bless you guys. Okay, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to kind of wrap up. Um, we don't need to cover a lot more of stuff. It's here. Go read John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Read about it. Uh, he's talking about love. He's talking about about uh, the issues that if we will get it straight. See, this is a this is. I'm not saying we don't have to sort out the details on this. What I'm saying is these two things. You are sent into this world like Jesus is. And Jesus came into the world knowing he was loved by the Father. He came into the world hearing the Father's voice, committing himself, and empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit to do what the Father wants done. That's us, if we'll believe it. And it includes everything that could stand in the way of it being 
fully manifest in the other person as well. And it includes things like letting that person know uh, your sins are forgiven. To, to go to your point uh, on one more little reinforcement, Second Corinthians chapter 5 is a perfect example of it. This is the message of the gospel that we were given. God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And so because of that, we beg you, like an ambassador, be reconciled. It's not saying that that person's not experiencing that. It's saying that God's not confused about what the issue is. It's their ignorance, their blindness, their rebellion, these things. But we have the ability to announce reconciliation over them, not tempt them like a carrot if they'll jump through a hoop. Announce it. And if we can get that down, Katie, bar the doors. Vicki. Um, earlier you said something about um, in our finite thinking or that we're finite yeah. beings. And um, and I got to thinking about that, and I was like, you know, we're, we're actually not finite. Right. Our thinking can be finite, but uh, that's probably down to a religious spirit of dualism. Yeah. But we're infinite beings. Right. And if we are infinite beings and we are seated in heavenly places, then when we read these scriptures... Our first response to them should be, oh, I get to do that? Yeah. As opposed to figuring out every way that you shouldn't do it. Right. And Or I re- applying faith to all the things that testify against you being what he says you are. Right. Yeah. This and, is and I remember when John Wimber brought that scripture up, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Do you remember the lady that came to our house who had um, committed adultery with a married man with lots of kids? Vaguely. Okay. And anyway, a wonderful woman. And she came. And I come from a family of multiple amount of kids. My father had multiple affairs. And this woman comes into our house who had destroyed this family. And she lost her children, lost her marriage. And she's saying this, and my response could have been, wow, you're getting everything you deserve. Because my parents were going, you know, they had gotten divorced because of the very exact same thing. So I'm listening to her talk, and that scripture came into my head. And I, I, I just said, what is it that you want? And she goes, I want to be forgiven, but there's nobody to forgive me. And I said, I can do that for you. I love my wife. And, and she looked at me and I said, I come from this thing that you're talking about. And if I can forgive you, I think some, God will do something here. So I did. I just sat there and, and I told her, I said, I forgive you. I love you. You know, and this woman breaks down, cries for like 45 minutes and her whole life is changed. My whole life was changed because I was able to release all that stuff from what had happened in my family through my dad participating in the same thing. So just realize you're not finite. And when your finite thinking takes over, snap that thing off and and turn on the infinite thinking. Amen. Yeah, Jennifer? That's a really cool testimony. Um, Well, I just... Uh, all of this reminded me of a verse I read a while back that says, I think it's saying pretty much the same thing that you are, Larry. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but 
it's Zachariah speaking over John the Baptist. And he says that part of his mission is to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Amen. And so, I mean, I tend to connect salvation, remission of sins like they're synonyms. Mm -hmm. But it looks like remission of sins is just the doorway to the rest of salvation. Yeah. But it also appears that, like, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of sins, would would you say that that is also saying that we are the ones remitting the sin, or? Yeah, I, I, I would actually. Giving... I, I I would. Um, I I think that I th- and this goes back to to your situation. We we are eventually going to have to confront that we equate words, important words, when they're not really the same thing. Like you said, remission, sin, and salvation. Now there is uh, the for the remission of sin. For salvation, there's all kinds of relationships. And I'm not saying Mm -hmm. I can, I know how to sort them all out right this second. What I am saying though, is that Jesus is always the greatest reference point to go back and go from being twisted some to less twisted about our thoughts like that. So we just go there. And what you said is exactly that. So now, this is not trying to push our way into heresy or create some new thought or doctrine. Those words have always said that what they said. Just because we had some kind of reform theology layer over the top of them that, that, that creates this as a step by step or a formulaic situation, it's okay to back away from those and ask questions about them. And not every one of our first response to the question or mine is going to be right. And I'm okay with that because I'm not coming from a place where my, my born againness is because I'm right. Neither are you. Our born againness is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the victory that was raised there. What we are trying to do is line up in agreement with that so that we can be heralds proclaiming this truth. And that is exactly what John the Baptist was. And, and, and if you, if you, that's brilliant to make that connection, Jennifer, because if you, once you start making the connection, you realize how, how easy it is to fall into the trap that when John took somebody and heard uh, whatever it was, and dipped him in the water, that's when it happened. No. It was when he was sent by God. And everybody that came got the benefit of him being sent and that process. Yes, sir. It's the actual good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Everybody thinks that the good news is... I'll change this camera real quick. The good news is you get to admit you're a bad person. You get to admit your sins and then ask for the forgiveness. Instead, we're saying you're already forgiven. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like about the way uh, Baxter Kruger turns the heels on it. The the gospel is not that you can invite Jesus into your life. It's the celebration of the truth that he has already drawn you into his. And that is simply what the Bible says. If I be lifted, if the Son of Man be lifted up, I will draw him into myself. And I could go on for a long time on this, but I'm not going to do it. I have to do a Christmas message. Oh yeah. Um, let me go here. I got excited and touched my phone. Okay. Yes, that is true. I'm going to read out of Luke. I'm going to read out of Luke. But but it is so germane to this message. Please listen to this. 
It's my favorite Christmas verse. You can hear it on the Charlie Brown Christmas all the time. So yes, it is the part in Luke chapter 2. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And um, was it Linus that read that? Or Yeah, okay. I don't do a good Linus. Um, the Lord shone round about them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. Your Savior is born. This is the NET. Your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angels praising God and saying, and this is my favorite Christmas verse, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. The heart of God was declared in Christmas before anybody ever got born again, before anybody ever made a decision, before anybody ever repented or listed a group of uh, socially acceptable sins to prove they were sincere. God, from his own nature, love, light, fire, spirit, was pleased with men who were displeased with themselves. It's amazing. That's the story of Christmas. That's the announcement that the army came to make. Not Jesus is coming and he's going to destroy you. The army announced God is pleased with you. And here's the news of it. It's wrapped up in that baby. Go see it. That's Christmas. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise God. This was fun, guys. Thank you, guys, everybody. See you in a couple days, you guys. She's back with the kids. Uh, Father, our thinking needs to change. And it's difficult sometimes because there's a lot of voices. We have a lot of history. Uh, but change is very, very possible. That is the transformation that happens when we look at you and we see ourselves reflected in your face. We see the kindness of the Father, the good intentions of the gospel revealed in Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit, when you're working on revealing just who Jesus is and just who we are and what the connection is between the Son of Man and men, Lord, then I, I bless you. And I ask you to continue this transformative work. But in the midst of it, let us be bold to declare healing, deliverance, forgiveness, and salvation to the world around us, to the people around us. Even this weekend, as we go or as we travel to be a family or whatever it is, even then, let us realize that we are ambassadors of the good news and let us be bold to share it. And let us not, for fear of what? Being more generous than you? Overstating it. Thank you, Lord.